Hey, 2KD fans, this is Carl Franklin, and that's my buddy Richard Morris, and we decided to to just uh, get together and hang out. We don't have a crazy topic today, but how are you, sir? Yeah, good, good. It's uh, winter time here in Australia, so I've got my uh, my heater running, so if you hear a hum in the background, I'm not turning it off. <laughs> that's okay. I think through the miracle of uh, noise reduction software, we can deal with that. Okay. <laughs> Nine o'clock in the morning here, and it's, what, 11 p.m.? For you? Yeah, it's 11, 11 p.m. here and one degree Celsius, which is... I'm still in shorts and a T-shirt, but, you know. That's because you're in denial. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm in Canberra. Yeah, okay, all right. So you're in the middle of exams right now, right? Yeah, yeah. I've got a big exam on Thursday. I'm not particularly well prepared for it, but uh, it's maths, which is, I mean, I've, yeah. I've been doing all biochem and I've done a few uh, comp sci subjects just for easy points. And I'm teaching Python programming to, to scientists this year as well. Oh, wow. That's great. So, that's a programming language, kids. That's a programming language, yeah. And yeah. I'm doing I'm doing two contracts, uh, both with labs. One's a biology lab here in Canberra and the other's a chemistry lab, a computational mm. chemistry lab in Brisbane. Mm. So I kind of overcommitted this semester. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah this uh, subject's mathematical statistics. And so you're going way beyond standard deviation, I take it. It's just, oh. <laughs> it's just my statistics experience in college. Oh, yeah. That's that was yeah. like the holy grail of our class. Where where we go where we going? <laughs> there are no roads. <laughs> I am I I am into integrals ten levels deep. Oh my gosh! Yes, this is this is. Uh, yeah, it's not it's, like getting metaphysical on you, like imaginary numbers and weird things like that. It, oh, it's, uh, there's uh, there's not a lot of imaginary numbers, thankfully, but uh, there's a lot of uh, hand waving and uh, continuous distributions. It works, but we don't know why. Well, <laughs> it, no, it's rigorous, but we but it's continuous distributions. It's it's a kind of stuff that Bayesian and frequentist inference. That is used for hypothesis testing for science. So when you see, uh, you know, Stephen Finney's done a study, and the p-value of uh, the observation of the treatment group is four times ten to the minus twenty-three. That mm. uh, it's how you come up with that number and 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 what it means, and it means it's very significant. It's immune to simplification, unfortunately, and that's one of the reasons why it's very complicated to explain. Um, how we know what we know, the epistemology of science hmm. to people who haven't haven't studied science. Hmm. Imagine, think think of it this way. I mean, that biology is always varied. So when you go out and you measure something, you're going to get a bell curve. You go out hmm. and measure IQs, you're going to get a bell curve, and hmm. the bell curve is going to be uh, has a mean, an average around a hundred for IQ. And yeah, you know, there's so many people. Sixty-eight percent of people are between one and two, uh, one standard deviation either side of that, and ninety-five percent are between two standard deviations either side of that. And so, um, it's um, because biology is varied. Every time yeah. you run an experiment, you go out and sample ten people and work out their IQ. You want to work out, you know, is the population I sample from smarter than the average population? Well, right. you know. You know, one you know you do the experiment one day, um, you're going to get a certain mean and average, and then uh, and and variance, and then you do it another day, and there'll be a different mean and variance. And the and the question that p value is telling you is, if I was to run this experiment twenty times, would uh, would I get a significant 
um, result 19 out of 20 times? Would would 19 out of 20 times that I rerun this experiment um, show a difference from my expectation? So right. it's 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 kind of it's explaining how we know how we can know what we know what we know without measuring everybody. I mean, if you want to work out the the IQ of of everybody in Canberra, you can line them all up, put them on a test, and 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 work it out. Short of that very expensive process, you've got to pick a sample of n number of people from the, that population, and then you need to know how how reliable would this measurement be. It's even harder than you think because picking the sample, people put their own biases into who they're going to pick for the sample. So randomizing right. is a good idea, but then you when you randomize, you might look at the the group and say, oh, well, they all seem to have these similar traits. Maybe we should run this randomizer again. Yeah. Introducing bias, right? Yeah. The reason why I'm doing uh, mathematical statistics is to is to understand how biases creep in and to mm. understand ways to fix that. Like, for example, if you were measuring IQs, um, uh, you might, uh, for example, have uh, a control group that has um, that is matched for age or something like that. And so, right. yeah, it's all of these kinds of things to try and remove the bias. The, yeah. the, the whole point is you have a hypothesis walking into this, which is called a null hypothesis, mm-hmm. and you're testing to see if that null hypothesis can be rejected. You know, um, right. you, t- you take a measurement. If the null hypothesis is rejected, it means you've got some significant information in your observations. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard work. <laughs> yeah, it is hard work. And the thing that um, I've learned over the years um, is that – if you have a hypothesis you're and you're doing a study, you're always trying to disprove the hypothesis. Aren't that's you? right. Yeah, that's that's the nature of this statistical test. Yeah, the null hypothesis is the mean IQ is a hundred, and your alternate hypothesis is people in Canberra are smarter than the right. average population, and so you're trying to disprove that alternate hypothesis right, right. with data. And it's only when you fail to disprove it that you've got a result that, hey, wait a minute, people in Canberra are kind of kind of clever. So <laughs> that may be uh, completely yeah. true for all we know. I, don't, um, I have no idea. I know, you're it, not moving anytime soon, are you? No, no I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I um, I have a friend who uh, is in trouble metabolically. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, he. Um, he has other issues just besides uh, diabetes and weight. I mean, what got him there was some sort of uh, psychological issues as well as uh, food addiction. And uh, and he spent some time at a fat farm, which was like a low-calorie mm-hmm. fat farm, and took a whole bunch of weight off in the 90s or maybe even in the 80s. I can't remember. And kept and it, it off? Came, well, he kept it off for a while. And he quit smoking, lost his girlfriend, et cetera, you know, one excuse after mm-hmm. another, and it all came back on with, you know, with a vengeance. Now he's on, um, he started off being on Ozempic and Mongerno. I think I mentioned this in the last, uh, the last show. Yeah. He's on Mongerno. And that's a kind of, uh, it's a, it's a, a similar, a, a similar kind of, uh, drug. Yeah. Yeah. So he, um, unfortunately, he doesn't, have a, a a guru such as you to trust when you know when we in in the the capacity to understand science when he when he comes across it so he really just has to find people to trust and then you know go with their 
instincts or go with their information. So I should mention right from the get-go, I'm no guru. Of course you're not. You you, you know the Dunning-Kruger chart? Yeah. Your mountain of stupidity, which is where you just started to research something and you think you know everything. You don't have no idea what you don't know. Yeah, of and course. Then, the, the guru, the the guru moniker does apply to you, however, because you've taught me how not to believe things that uh, you know. Well, I'm 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 on the slope of enlightenment. Uh, yeah, you know, I've passed the pit of despair. I've realized, yeah. I've realized that one, I don't know what I don't know, and now I'm trying to know what I don't know. Exactly. And it's only once you. I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of hard work to get to the point where you, you where you can make claims that you can you can back up with it really is and i appreciate your how careful you are in making claims and always have been but uh anyway we're talking and uh i'll come back to the cholesterol thing because he he's really mad at his doctor who told him he had to be on a statin and this was years ago and i remember telling him Dude, don't take a, don't take statins. Here's what I know, and I sent him all this stuff, and of course he didn't read it, didn't understand it, and um, and he's like, and now I find out that uh, statins contribute to type two diabetes, and they raise insulin, and I said, well, yeah, there's a lot of things that they do, and first and foremost, they they lower uh, LDL, which has been deemed uh, not a problem anymore. Well, technically. It it isn't, but yeah, it's not a Te- it's not a marker of heart disease as much as it triggers over HDL. No, I, I mean I should I should caveat this with you know that there is good evidence that that um that people who uh, constitute constitutively that is they're born with uh, the inability to to make LDL have mm. less heart disease than people than normal people. Okay. And you can look at the, it's called Mendelian randomization. You can look at these people with knockouts in genes that are, that, that are required for having normal to high levels of LDL. And you find mm. out that they have low to normal levels of heart disease. Right. And so there is, there is, there is some foundation for the uh, belief that, that I mean, and a nuanced modern foundation for the belief that um, if we could only reduce LDL, yeah. We would reduce heart attacks. Yeah. But in fact, there's also good evidence that, for example, women over 50 who have higher LDL live longer. Right. And um, and th- there is good evidence for the fact that, I mean, w- we've conserved the ability to make LDL. We're one of the few animals that does. Mm. And there's a reason why we do that, and that reason is that humans are predominantly fat uh, they're fat burners, yeah. and it's it's how we buffer most of our energy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how we feed. You know, it's one of the ways that we feed our large brains yeah. um, and uh, survive winters and and the like. And so, the job of LDL is to take fat or fatty acids in triglycerides right. uh, bound into triglycerides uh, through circulation. Um, because they can't, because they're not water soluble, so they have to be carried in something, and that something is just LDL, is how it goes from from our diet and uh, from our liver yeah. um, to our to our fat cells and to any other cell that's willing to burn fatty acids for energy. Yeah. It's like observing uh, that a river is full of boats. Right. You know, you can also make the inference that it's that that river is important for carrying the cargo of those boats. Um, you know, through the land, you know, um, 
those boats themselves aren't inherently dangerous. Yeah, we've made inferences about the existence of LDL in the bloodstream that it that it causes things, not that it's a result of things. Well, it's also that the the cholesterol that builds up in our arteries in our arterial wall comes from LDL, hmm. um, and so people have just it's just a simple. Um, people have jumped to the conclusion that well, if we have less LDL, there'll be less cholesterol in our right. arteries. Um, but the point is that there's a reason why uh, your cells are uh, accumulating cholesterol and not getting rid of it, mm. and that that reason is that you, the 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 cells that are picking up um, LDL particles from uh, the arterial wall are macrophages, and they harvest uh, damage and oxidize LDL whenever insulin is high. Mm. And they take the contents on board, and those contents are triglycerides and cholesterol and other mm. lipids. Mm. And uh, those cells can use the triglycerides for energy, but they can't do anything with the cholesterol. Mm. So the way that the, the the body or the the way that we've evolved to get rid of that cholesterol uh, from these cells and excess lipids is to um, package them into a different carrier called HDL. So and we do that when insulin is low. So it's the loss of that that ebb and flow of insulin going high after you eat a meal and then low between meals. The loss of that is mm. what is what I believe causes heart disease. Mm. Um, and so the LDL is just, you know, it's 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 the guy bringing the pizza, but it's you know, it's <laughs> it's, it's not the, the fact, pizza. It's yeah. the fact that you're not throwing away pizza boxes that's causing your hoarding issue, right? You know, it's so, not, it's not that it's not pizza delivery boys causing. Your hoarding issue, right? And and that just a, again, it's a nuance, right? It's um, yeah. it's it's looking into it a little bit further than just oh, there seems to be LDL here in you know stroke victims or whatever high LDL. Let's find out. Yeah, let's reduce it. You know, the 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 great analogy I can't remember who made it on our show a long time ago, but was you know there always seems to be a lot of fire trucks and firemen at at a house fire. Yeah, you know, maybe if we just got rid of all the firemen, we, we wouldn't have any fires anymore. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's let's move on because my next topic mm-hmm. I want to talk about is this article that my friend again just happened to mention on the phone. We're just talking. He says, "I even saw something that says keto causes insulin resistance." Mm-hmm. And I said, "What?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, "Yeah." And I said, uh, "You better send me that link because." And what he sent me was uh, actually a Google search to a bunch of things, but mm-hmm. one of them was this article in simland.com, do, and, and it doesn't even say keto causes insulin resistance. It says, uh, does keto cause insulin resistance? The truth. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I kind of read it, and you know, they, they're trying to pull it apart here, but I said, what what is this really? And I sent it over to you, and you you actually did the the Richard Morris treatment on it. I will so, actually in a bit. <laughs> what what is the what does the article say? So Sim Land is a, a kid from Estonia who started writing books about ketogenic diets. I think I want to say about like ten years ago. He, he must have been like eighteen, seventeen, or eighteen years old, and he would talk at conferences. He's he's telegenic, and he's and he's. He's well-meaning, but he's not a scientist. He's an anthropologist. Okay. Which means he seeks to understand human nature 
uh, and to tell stories about human nature. Uh, I mean, his article is essentially making the claim that that when you're on a ketogenic diet, because your cells aren't running on on glucose, uh, the enzymes and transporters for using and uh, transporting glucose are down-regulated in cells that have the option to use fat. And that's right. a natural uh, physiological process. We call it keto adaptation, and it takes about two weeks for us to get to the point after having not had carbs for two weeks, eventually our cells become good at using fatty acids for energy. But there's a cost involved in upscaling one part of your machinery, and that is that expense is taken up by downscaling all of the things that you're not using. So all of your muscle cells that were burning glucose when you're eating a meal with high amounts of glucose, now they're burning fatty acids. They don't need to use glucose so much. So they yeah. down-regulate their, um, their machinery for, for handling, uh, for transporting glucose. And so what happens if you're on a ketogenic diet, you do your keto adaptation, you're now fat-burning fat, you're producing ketones, your brain is happy, everything is all fine, and then you have a donut. You have something with sugar in it. Mm -hmm. What happens is your body's not dumb. It will say, well, the environment has changed to have more carbohydrates, so now I'm going to upregulate all that carbohydrate machinery mm -hmm. and back down regulate the, the fatty acid machinery, mm -hmm. and that's the process of uh, getting kicked out of ketosis. Well, mm -hmm. what happens initially is when that donut first hits the bloodstream and it, the sugars are presented to the cells, those cells start off not being good at transporting glucose because they've adapted. And right. so what happens is your glucose goes really high and it looks like mm. insulin resistance. Um. But it's a physiological form of insulin resistance, not the pathological form that is the core of diabetes. Diabetes, the insulin resistance um, in type 2 diabetes is a chronic pathological form of insulin resistance. Mm. And because doctors really, they've got a hammer so everything looks like a nail. Right, right. That hammer is the ability to measure glucose and it's in the diagnostic criteria of type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. You know, you, your glucose has to be unregulated. You have to have glucose over a certain level for a certain amount of time and then, right. then, you, then you're diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And so the assumption that Sim Land has made, and, and he's not the only one, a lot of people make this assumption that if you're cells aren't drawing glucose out of the circulation fast enough, then obviously it's a problem with either you don't have enough insulin or you have so much insulin, but your cells aren't listening to it. And it's a little bit more nuanced than that. The, the, okay. the, the actual pathological insulin resistance that happens in type 2 diabetes, it's a pathological form of the Randall cycle. So, and we can go into that detail if you want, but it's a, it's a long and complicated conversation. But so it's a, but it's a different process than a full blown insulin resistance, which can develop over years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A keto adaptation will mean that you're not a good glucose burner. You know, if you if you don't eat glucose for two weeks, then you'll become not good at clearing glucose from the right. blood because right. you're becoming used to the new environment. Yeah, yeah. change the environment, and you're ability to adapt, it only takes about two or three days and, and any sign of this physiological insulin resistance goes away. So it, the ketogenic diet definitely does not cause insulin resistance and mm -hmm. and it's a long involved conversation, but I could I couldn't uh, I can explain it one day. Yeah, well I mean distill it down for the listeners, just keep common keto on, right? I mean 
Pretty much, yeah. Eat, eat bacon and eggs. Eat, yeah, right. Yeah, eat bacon um, and eggs and with a bit of hot sauce. When when you sent me the your your response to this article and I shared it with my friend, there was a couple of terms that he didn't understand, and so I think it might be good to uh, go over these vocabulary words for listeners. Okay. One of them is sink, mm-hmm. and the other one is buffer. Right. So you'd probably understand the term sink and source. Yeah. In programming, uh, when we're dealing with events, something creates the event, that's the source, Mm -hmm. and something is the target of the event, that's the sink. So when I'm talking about in the context of fatty acids, the source of fatty acids is eating fatty acids or making them from something that you've eaten, Mm -hmm. and the sink is using them for energy. So we have a source producing, generating them, and a sink taking them out of the body. Because the predominant way that we that we remove things that we no longer need from the body is uh, through filtration, mm. it's very difficult for the body to get filtration through through the kidneys and urination. Um, that's a water soluble pathway, so it's very difficult to get fat soluble molecules out of the body. But it's a sink for wa- water soluble toxins. Yeah. So if you have too much vitamin C, you'll piss it, yeah. you'll pee it all out. Yeah. You, you pee the excess out. You have too much vitamin B, you'll pee it all out. So that in that case, the kidneys are a sink. Urination is the sink. Urination is the process that takes it out. Right. And you know, if if you eat too much glucose, you pee you pee the excess out. I mean mm. this these all these water soluble molecules can be gotten out of the system. Mm-hmm. Fatty acids, however, aren't soluble in water. Mm. Um, they're not miscible in water. And so what that means is that there's only two ways that I know of, two natural ways to get fatty acids out of the body uh, th- that don't involve something like liposuction. Mm. One one is burning them for energy. Mm-hmm. That's one way because we convert them into CO2 and water. Mm-hmm. Breathe them out. And, and make ATP out of them. And that's so we use them for energy. Mm-hmm. And the other way is lactation. Lactation is the only other way to get you know, to get fatty acids out of the body, expressing them in milk. And that's, you know, that's a trick that is difficult for half of the population to do. (laughs) Uh, And it's it's something that's rare. It's something you only get to do for, you know, a couple of months every couple of years. It's not a good diet plan. It's not a good (laughs) diet plan. So here's the thing. If if there is anything that is getting in between the source and the sink, let's say – Okay, I'll, I'll put this claim out now that the only way that we can get fatty acids out of the body is to get them into our mitochondria to be beta oxidized into energy. Burned for energy. To, yeah. Burned for energy and converted into CO2 and water. Right. Anything that blocks that mechanism, that blocks the sink, turns those fatty acids from fuel that can be used to make energy into just a metabolically inert molecule that just floats around the system. Huh. And so this is the core problem with type 2 diabetes is that when insulin goes high, it does a number of things, including drawing glucose into the cell, but it also mm-hmm. turns on the mechanism of making fatty acids in the cell, and it also blocks new fatty acids from getting into the mitochondria. Right. So now you, now you get a buildup of fatty acids inside the cell. They can't go anywhere other than out of the cell. They can't be turned into energy. Right. Um, in fact, those fatty acids, are they even calories if you can't get them into the mitochondria? You know, these yeah. are not calories. These are just metabolically inert uh, hoarding <laughs> that your body is pizza, metabolically inert pizza boxes that your <laughs> body is hoarding for the day when insulin goes down. 
Um, this is the core problem is the ins- in a type 2 diabetic, insulin is chronically and persistently elevated. Yeah. So uh, buffers, I understand from programming too. A buffer is like yeah. a temporary storage place or something. Maybe you're thinking of something between the source and the sink. That, so that's exactly what it is. And there's a number of buffers. Um, we have fatty acids in circulation in LDL particles. That those are buffers of fatty acids, right? Because they're just circulating in the blood. That's right. We also have uh, uh, cells that have a primary job of storing fatty acids, our adipocytes, our fat cells. Mm-hmm. Now, every cell actually has the ability to store a small, modest buffer of energy. It's called a lipid droplet, mm-hmm. uh, and and so uh, in your cells. What happens when you switch off the ability to get fatty acids in, into the furnace, into mm-hmm. the mitochondria to be turned into energy? They pull. They pull in these lipid droplets, these little buffers inside the cell, because surely insulin's going to come down any minute. Right. Surely we're going to clear all that glucose. We can now drop the insulin, and then uh, we're going to be able to get, start drawing down those little buffers, uh, little storage buffers of uh, of fatty acids. But um, the problem is that when you make a lipid droplet, you degrade the glucose transporter. So the mere process of blocking fatty acids from getting into the mitochondria builds up these little little buffers, little pools of fat inside your cells, and that process degrades the ability for your glucose transporter to respond to insulin. So now what happens is glucose goes up, the pancreas says, right, we need more insulin, and, you know, full speed ahead, sir, <laughs> mm-hmm. the pancreas returns as much insulin as until glucose goes down. Glucose never goes down. Yeah. And, you know, and the person is now, all of their energy or at least 50% of their energy, their available energy from fat coming from fatty acids is unavailable to them. Right. And so that's what causes um, people to get hungry and to get lethargic because they're running out of energy. Right. So here's another question, and this is all good stuff. And I know it's mostly review for anyone who's listened to this show or, you know, who understands all this stuff. But um, the other question is, I sometimes hear people say, and I'm talking about friends, that, um, you know, keto is is fine, but I don't think I can do that. And there are other ways to lose weight. There are other ways to burn for to make your body burn fat than being in ketosis mm-hmm. is that true yes of course if you stop eating you don't if you stop eating you'll waste away to nothing well okay but that's ketosis isn't it with you are in ketosis can your body burn fat without being in ketosis so i don't know if you ever seen when going down a mountain range in a, on a on a highway Every now and then, every couple of hundred yards, there'll be a little side road that goes up a ramp and yeah. it's got gravel on it. Yeah. And you might think to yourself, well, I wonder what those are. There seems to be a lot of these side roads. What they are is a method for a truck with broken brakes to suddenly slow itself down by yeah. veering off the road into the into into these side roads. Yep. And so that is kind of what happens that's why you're making ketones because you're burning your body's good at regulating how much glucose it burns, but it's not it doesn't have as many clever tricks for fatty acids. And so hmm. once the spigot putting fatty acids into your mitochondria is fully open, your mitochondria is going to be using fatty acids and it's going to be going crazy. And hmm. it's in that process where the 
crab cycle is spinning so quickly um, that it can't use ATP enough. So what it does is it builds its own little buffer of beta-hydroxybutyrate. It's a ketone. It's a ketone. It's a water-soluble energy source. It is, and it's a molecule that the mitochondria can turn fuel into when it doesn't need all of the energy, doesn't need to convert all that fuel into all the energy. So, so it's like a little safety valve for the mitochondria mm. to put uh, some of this energy into a molecule that can then be easily transported out because it's water-soluble, it's small, yeah. it doesn't need complicated transporters. Yeah. Um, it's transported with the same kind of transporters that transport lactic acid and a lot of other simple molecules. Doesn't need complicated hormones like insulin to be able to get it across cell membranes. Mm. And so it's a really useful side product of fatty acids. Um, it's it's kind of like a half-digested fatty acid, I guess you could think of it as. Mm. But it's water-soluble now, and it can get across the blood-brain barrier. Right, so the brain uses these uh, ketones for energy. Absolutely. The, I mean, the, the ketones can, can offset roughly 30% of the of the energy requirements of the brain. So brain still is an obligate consumer of glucose, but th these ketones can give you a lot of a lot of energy to neurons. So the question is is it possible to lose weight without ketosis? Well, yeah, if you if your um uh cells aren't awash with energy from fatty acids, maybe there's maybe the spigot's not open full, maybe it's yeah. open just a little bit or maybe you're utilizing energy so quickly because you're exercising that you don't need to run your, your semi-trailer up a, up one of these relief roads, mm -hmm. then you, you don't need to make ketones. Ketones aren't specifically the magical mechanism of weight loss. Ketones just are a side effect of, hey, I'm burning fatty acids for energy. You burn fatty acids for energy, you're going to lose weight. I guess this is the question. Is there any other way to burn fatty acids for energy <clears throat> than to cut your carbohydrate intake can you be eating a, a high carb diet and still be burning body fat yes of course if you're eating a high carb diet and you have an adequate amount of time between meals so you're not snacking in between you're not goosing insulin every five minutes with with a snack if you go you know four or five hours between meals oh. you're going to switch from glucose burning to fatty acid burning so when you have the meal you you burn all the glucose you clear all the glucose the insulin drops and now you burn fatty acids and you do that until your next meal so oh. if you're eating a high carb diet and you're restricting calories mm -hmm. you will lose weight the problem is uh, there is time required to switch from glucose burn predominantly glu glucose burning to predominantly fatty acid burning mm. and it's in that dip that hangry exists yeah that's that, that's right you know that's that's and and Your if you're type hangry. 2 diabetic <laughs> yeah and if you and if you have a snacky snack when you when you meet hangry um, then you never <laughs> get to it. the point when insulin drops uh, but what about overnight i mean a lot of people even dip into ketosis don't they when they go to sleep even if they're not well, eating low carb yeah, so 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 there's a measurement of a ketosis, which is you know a measure measure beta hydroxybutyrate. Uh, but the fact is that all of your cells can use beta hydroxybutyrate for energy. Yeah. So if they're making it and using it, yeah. and there's none in your blood, are you in ketosis? Well, yes, you are because yeah. you're making ketones. Yeah, the measurement of beta hydroxybutyrate is what's left over. Yeah, it's not what you're using. That's right, because your your circulation system is your buffer. Yeah, right. So, um, yeah, you can be burning uh, fatty acids for energy and making ketones 
and then turning around and using them almost immediately and not register to a diagnostic uh, level that you're in ketosis, but you're, you are in ketosis. In fact, I suspect all of us are. But once you understand that there's a, you know, these things are required in order for you to burn fatty acids, which will burn body fat, now that begs mm. the question, well, what's the most efficient way to get rid of my body, to burn my body fat for fuel? And the answer is cut the carbs, lower your insulin, and, yeah. and uh, use that fuel, uh, fill up your tank, you know? Think about all of the fatty acids in your body, in your adipose cells, in circulation, yeah. and on their way to the mitochondria. If they can get to the mitochondria in between meals, then the amount of body fat that you have will be the amount that your body tells you to replenish, yeah. essentially how hungry you're going to be for the next meal. Right. Okay, so the amount of body fat that you have on your body is a normal homeostasis. Your body is setting, given the past history uh, of this animal and the environment we think it's in and how easy it is for it to get a feed mm. and how much effort it has to do to give a feed and how much energy it needs to output, we're going we're gonna to keep a buffer of X on this animal. Right. And so, so if you are able to burn fatty acids easily, then your body should naturally alight at that at that location. Yeah. The the problem happens when you can eat anything anytime you want. When you can have bananas twelve months a year. Mm -hmm. You know, when you turn into Betty White on the on the football field, you can you can have a Snickers <laughs> and that'll get you back to back to, to, to going again. And you know, we're used now to uh, dietitians will tell us you have to have three meals a day. Well that's not true. No. But they tell you have three meals a day plus two snacks a day. Yeah. And you perpetually keeping it's like it's like the, a boring day at the cricket where somebody blows up a, a beach ball and the crowd tries to keep the beach ball aloft. That's what you're doing to your insulin. You you you're spiking it up. Yeah, a my whole friend time. that we're talking about went to a diabetic doctor, or whatever, and they told they told him to basically eat 150 grams of carbs a day, spread out over like three major meals and two or three snacks. It's just unbelievable. I just, that's designed I, to keep. That's designed to make sure that he's always making insulin. Yeah, and also, yeah, exactly. Because they, and you said it before that the medical establishment wants to keep you your A one C at around seven, right? Which is diabetic, but at least it's not doesn't it doesn't seem dangerous for them in yeah, terms of lawsuits it's, it's, and it's a risk management. It, yeah. it's 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 not just it's not just lawsuits. I mean, the doctors are trying to because of the. The difficulty with managing diabetics, they want to build in a, a, a buffer of caution. They want to build in some leeway so that so that uh, you know. And and people who keep their A one C to seven, mm. um, they do a lot better than people who let their A one C get up to eleven and a half. That's true. Like I did. Yeah. You know. So so you know it's 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 a it's a matter of uh, a risk reward. But, you know, there's somebody on a ketogenic diet can get their A1C down to around about five. Mm. I mean, you know, if you were to go to one of these, uh, to an endocrinologist who understands enough about their subject matter and say, what if I gave you a pill that would get your patient's A1C down to 5.2, which is where mine is, um, over nine years, eating essentially what they want to eat and losing, you know, 30% of their body fat. Mm. And uh, and there'd be no risk of uh, hypoglycemic events. They you're, would say, "You're talking about I yourself." I want to prescribe that pill. <laughs> I want to prescribe that pill. <laughs> yeah, 
it's a demarcation dispute between doctors and dietitians. Sure. Doctors don't want to have to deal with with food because it's a messy it's a messy process. And they have no control over what you eat, really. At the end of the day, they can just ask you and that's and most people lie about when they don't eat what they're supposed to eat and blah blah blah. Yeah. But how how much advice can you give somebody in a 15-minute consult? No, I know. Yeah. Give them a script with a pill. And if the pill gets them to seven and for the most part, it doesn't cause too many problems. So circling back to cholesterol, which I want to do uh, before we go, um, I'm going to repeat a story that I've told on this show many times is when when I first went keto uh, and dropped a lot of weight, all my markers improved except one, and Mm -hmm. that was LDL. And my doctor said, you're my rock star, but dude, you're cholesterol is through the roof you got to sit down like you're gonna have a heart attack right now and Mm -hmm. i tried to tell her that you know from what i've understood you know this isn't necessarily a bad marker and if you want to see if i have heart disease measure heart disease and she sat in the corner of the room and she'd like put her put her finger over her mouth and she tapped it and she said well you know, we do have once in a while a patient who strokes out comes in here and we do a carotid artery scan and it's completely clogged. Right. I could do a carotid artery scan. I could yeah. send you to, and I said, sure. So yeah. they sent me to the cardiologist and came back zero. Yeah. I think the I think the result was no significant placking or something like that. No, no significant yeah, in, intrusions in the intima or something. But And then she, she couldn't argue with me, but she couldn't. Yeah. Do anything either. She just said, "Okay, well, you yeah, know, keep doing what you're yeah. doing. I don't yeah. understand it, but yeah. and I, and I my 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 thing to her was like, how is it possible that every marker that you know of that uh, of disease is low here, including, you know, my weight, my blood pressure, right? Of everything except for this one thing. How is that possible? I think that we don't we don't understand it. That's what I think. But but put yourself in the place of the doctor. She's going to have that conversation with a lot of people. Mm. They're all going to have they're all going to have done their research with Doctor Google. Yeah. Now I'm not, and and they they'll say the same about me, even though I've got a biochemistry degree. And it's a long and involved, complicated conversation. Yeah. You're lucky that you had a proactive doctor that was willing to yep. get your uh, intima scan. Mm. It was an ultra, ultra scan of your neck, right? Yeah, yeah, on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. So the other trick that you could do is you can get a uh, CAC score, which right. is a, a calcium. Agatson score. Calcium. It looks at calcium in the in the arteries leading to the heart. And, right. And I have a CAC score of zero, for example. So, um, you know, it, 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 it just means that your arteries are not accreting um, – uh, uh, cholesterol, right. and the reason why they're not is because, um, well, one of the reasons is because your insulin is going low enough for HDL to be taking that cholesterol out of the arteries and and sending it back to the liver. Yeah, and um, you know what's one of the things that happens when people go ketogenic? Their HDL goes up. That's why. Yeah, and their LDL and their trig- sometimes goes up, which is what happened with me. Sometimes goes up, sometimes goes down, sometimes stays, mm. sometimes doesn't change at all. Right, so and we know from it's, Dave it's, Feldman that that can change depending on what you eat three days before your test. That's right. Yeah, and dramatically, you know the 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 other thing that happens when people go ketogenic is their triglycerides go down. Mm. Well, what? Why would that happen? Well, when insulin goes down, 
that spigot that's feeding fatty acids into the mitochondria is released. Yeah. And all of a sudden, your body, all of your cells in your body are using fatty acids for energy. Where are they going to get that from? They get it from triglycerides in circulation. Mm. So, you know, that's why triglycerides go down because you're actually using them for energy. Mm. And this is a problem that I had with, um, uh, with Wagovi slash Zempic and uh, Monjoro right. is that what they do is they raise insulin and decrease appetite. And in that scenario, you're further inhibited from using fatty acids from, for energy. So, and if you're on a low carb diet, where are you going to get your energy from? You're going to get it from lean tissue. And this was, this was Peter Attier has observed that uh, right. two thirds of his patients that he, that go on a Zempic lose lean mass. In fact, lean, more no, lean actually, mass. it was every yeah yeah that they, 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 the two thirds of their weight loss was lean mass. Yeah. Where you know when I lost, I mean, I went from uh, two hundred and fifty kilograms down to one hundred and six kilograms in the first six months of a ketogenic diet. Mm. I increased lean mass during that time. And if you if you talk to anybody who specialises in caloric restriction weight loss diets, mm. they will tell you that's not that's not possible. You should be losing. A quarter of your of your of your weight loss should be lean mass. Well, it didn't happen in my case, and the reason mm-hmm. why is because I opened the spigots. Right, I opened the spigots into my mitochondria so that they could use fatty acids for energy that had only been, you know, clogging up the place up to that point because there was no other way to get them out of the body. Right, considering I wasn't willing to lactate. <laughs> <laughs> and that sounds like the final words here. Um. Thank you so much. Uh, it, it it really is helpful. I know not just to me and my friend, but also to you know the the bunch of listeners who miss us, and uh, you know miss hearing your voice, my friend. Yeah, well, I I wish I could do it more often, but I'm mathematics statistics has me by the yeah. short and girly. Well, that'll <laughs> that'll end someday, and hopefully we'll be back Thursday. in the swing. <laughs> It'll end Thursday. <laughs> I'm never going to do it again. Part of my problem is I'm a programmer, and so I'm used to automating the boring stuff. Yeah. And so I'm I'm thinking about mathematics as a programming problem. Mm-hmm. And it's not a programming problem. It's a creative, um, abstract. Yeah. Um, it's almost a language problem. Right. So anyway, it's a challenge. Yeah. It's my own cross to bear. But if I pass this subject, this will be the most proud I've been of my academic career the most the hardest stuff worked well so i'll definitely we'll let see. you get back to work <laughs> <laughs> no worries. thanks richard no worries carl all right we'll see you next time on, on two, two keto, keto dudes, dudes.